What is up, podcast fam? My name is Jeremy Abramson, and I am so grateful that you are taking time out of your day and spending it with me here right now. 2020 is going to be such a special year, not only for me, but for you and for us. This community that we are cultivating is so special, and I am on a mission to impact 20 million lives worldwide through movement, gratitude, and joy, and I cannot do that without your help. So, Please continue supporting the show, share it with a friend, share it with a family member, and make sure to engage with me on social media. Hit me up on Instagram, CoachJeremy305, so we can keep this conversation going. I hope you enjoy today's show. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Stand Up to Sitting podcast. I am your host and chief energy officer, Jeremy Abramson. And ladies and gentlemen, I am so pumped. It is the first show of the 2020 season, and I can't think of a better way to get it started than bringing in my guy, Ben Azadi. And Ben, as a former obese man, is now a wellness entrepreneur and coach. He's a three times best-selling author, podcast host, and speaker. Ben is on a mission to help 1 billion people live a healthier lifestyle. And yes, I said billion with a B. What is up, baby? Jeremy, good to see you, brother. I'm so grateful and happy to be here with you today. Yes, sir. I want to dive right in because I love the vision and the ambition to have that type of impact, 1 billion people. Tell me where that number came from. And is that like a new vision you've had or is that kind of been something that's been there for a while? Yeah, well, that goal started about two years ago, that okay. 1 billion uh, goal. And it's really not about hitting that number. It's about who I have to become on my way to hit that number. And uh, imagine 1 billion people impacted by the work that I put out there, that you put out there, because it's not really just my goal. It, it's it's actually both of our missions. We are so much aligned and we'll talk about that. But if we were able to impact 1 billion lives, that's a snowball effect, a ripple effect to go to the rest of the world, about 7.5 billion people. So you get that 1 billion, they'll share your information with the other, their friends, their community, and that's the world. We're changing the world right there. Hell yeah. And I think it's, I think it's important to note too, it's, it's good to have visions that are huge, right? It's good to have visions that are like, oh shit, like I need to get my ass out of bed because I have, I have people to impact. And, you know, I told you earlier, my vision for 2020 is to impact 20 million lives worldwide. And again, I don't think that needs to be done necessarily by impacting 20 million individual people. But if I impact 5 million and they spread that joy and gratitude and movement to four other people in their life, that's 20 million right there. So it's the law of multiplication. It is. And also, you, you said it. You know, it's having that vision. I think most people, their problem, this is my problem the first 24 years of my life, hitting small goals, having small goals and hitting them every time and not setting my sights for bigger things to accomplish. Because when you expand yourself and throw your hat over the fence, like I just did and you just did, we have to go get that hat and who we have to become, the relationships we have to develop, like you and I, the people we have to meet, the circumstances we have to manifest, all that comes about because we committed to a goal and the creativity now flows and follows. And that's what it's about. 
Hell yeah, dude. Yeah. I love that. That's so well said. So you, you talk about these first 24 years. Talk about that process, that journey, how you got to become obese. What were those internal conversations you were having with yourself? Oh, it was terrible, Jeremy. It was so my parents immigrated here from Iran in the 1970s. My mom and my dad, they had an arranged marriage like they do that a lot in Iran. Mm. 30 year uh, difference in age, my my parents. So they came here, they got divorced. Yeah, they got divorced and I lived with my mom with my sister. And my mom doing the best that she could. She worked three jobs. One of those jobs was an assistant manager at Kentucky Fried Chicken. And she would bring me home about every single night fried chicken to eat. <laughs> and being a kid, I'm going to eat that fried chicken. And, and it manifested in my physical appearance. And being that she was working three jobs, Jeremy, I was left to my own devices. I was hanging out with the wrong crowd. And I'm tr a strong believer that you become your environment or your environment becomes you. And my environment was drug dealers, gang members, people who had no goals, speaking of goals, in their life. And that's what manifested for myself. So I was both physically obese and both mentally obese, mentally bankrupt. That transferred into my adulthood where I was 24 years old back in 2008, addicted to video games. Uh, I, I was not addicted to drugs at this time. It was a teenager. I was addicted to drugs and I stopped at that point. But video games was my obsession, dude. I was so good at video games. I was one of the top Madden players in the world, one of the top Call of Duty what? players. So I was putting all my time and energy into something that was not really serving the world. And I had to hit rock bottom for me to kind of wake up and make a change in my life. Mm, so 2008 was that point for you. What was, was there a specific moment when you talk about rock bottom or was it kind of a series of events? Well, it was a series of events, but it led, so my girlfriend broke up with me in 2008, relationship was going nowhere and I was lost in life. I had not done any kind of personal growth or self-development. I didn't know how to handle it. It, it was so bad and I was crying every day. I, mm. I couldn't even be in a room by myself because every time I was in a room by myself, I just wanted to hurt myself. I wanted to end my life. I wanted to stop the pain. And I went on the internet several times, Jeremy, and I would look for ways to kill myself because I was just so tired of waking up every day and just feeling numb and depressed all day long. And that was for months and months and months. And every time I explored ending my life, I would think about my mother and how much I love her and what I would have to leave behind for her and the devastation she would have to deal with. So it stopped me from pursuing that. And I had a decision to make because I knew I was not going to take my life, but I also knew that I was tired of being in the dirt. I was tired of hurting every single day. And this is the point of my life that everything changed because books entered my life. Mm. Wayne Dyer, Bob Proctor, these amazing authors who have shared their rock bottom and what they did to accomplish greatness in this world. And that just turned on a, a light switch and a fire that ignited inside of me. And I decided for the first time in my life to take responsibility. Oof. I, I said, I am responsible, not my genetics, not my enabling family members, not whatever I was blaming. Fast forward nine months from that decision that I said, I am responsible. I went from 250 pounds to 170 pounds. I went from 34% body fat to 6% body fat. 6%? And I carved out a physical six pack. First time in my life being that kid who was obese growing up and bullied and picked wow. on. I always desired a physical six pack, but was more important than that, I carved out that mental six pack, dude. And I'll take that over a physical six pack any day yes. of the week. And that's where it all changed for me. Wow. So that nine months, obviously the books played a big role in that. What were you doing differently? I mean, physically, nutrition wise, I mean, what was, cause that, that's, that's 
a real transformation. I mean, talk about the mindset, of course, but physically 80 pounds and from 34 to 6%, like that's unheard of. Yeah, it was a huge transformation. So, so what were maybe like the three or four things that you were consistent at doing every single day? I exercised every single day. Uh, first time in my life, I started working out. I did P90X. Uh, I did it. Tony Horton? Tony Horton, yeah. Hell yeah. I did several P90X programs in a row. I started to change my diet, stopped playing as much video games, got on my bike and rode. So I was active. I started to move more. Speaking of exactly what you teach, movement over exercise, I was doing both at the time. A little excessive, but that's a different point. So that's number one. I changed my sitting down so much to moving and walking around and doing some exercise. Number two, was that I say I embraced the suck. So what I mean by that, working out for the first time in my life, doing P90X, dude, I was so sore for days and I was, yeah. I was feeling beat up, going to parties and get togethers and my friends, you know, handing me chips and beer and I, and I would say, no, I have a goal, I'm gonna commit to it. And they would make fun of me, right? Mm. So it sucked. So the formula that I share with people is you gotta embrace the suck sometimes. When you're making these changes, it's gonna suck. And the formula is suck, suck, success. You keep embracing that suck, you fail forward, and eventually you get results. So nine months, I just kept going forward and kept going forward, using any little thing to kind of motivate me at the time. And I, I believe motivation doesn't really last. So I had to get more inspired after the motivation kind of fizzled out. But I embraced the suck, I moved more, and I changed my nutrition, and that's where the results manifested. Yeah, and I think it's such a perfect time that we're talking about this with the new year underway, the new decade getting started, and people are always talking about making physical transformations, right? Whether it's changing their diet or going to the gym, whatever those things may be. But like you said, oftentimes they don't tend to last, you know? And I think I, I saw a stat like over 70% of New Year's resolutions resolve, revolve around something in the health realm. So it's all about that consistency. And I love that you said the embrace the suck. Because for most people, that's the time that's the most challenging. It's like we're a novice again. It's so easy to resort back to the things we're good at. And even in fitness, right? Like I used to just like lift weights, traditional exercises. And when I started moving in different ways with my body weight, it, I wasn't good. I wasn't proficient at these things. It takes consistency. And like you said, that dedication and that sacrifice, where your friends, your homies were offering you chips, beer, and you had the willpower and you had that vision in mind to be like, nah, like I'm on my own path right now and I cannot let these outside external distractions deter me. And I think that's so important for people watching and listening. Like there's gonna be those vision vampires, <laughs> right? Especially when your vision's as big as yours or mine. There's going to be those people that are saying, no, that's, that's not possible. You're in over your head. And it's so important to take that with a grain of salt and recognize where that person's coming from and stay aligned with your vision throughout the process. So I love that, bro. Yeah, that's an important point. I, I love that you said that because you're right. There's going to be people out there who are going to say things to your face like, you're nuts. What are you doing? How, do you, how could you have this grandiose idea, right? And you got to be so convicted with who you are and what you're doing that it could just deflect off of you like water from a fish. And just knowing that puts you ahead of the curve because people are going to say things. You, you, you've had it before you, I'm sure. Like you said, vampires, goal vampires. Right. I call them drainers, energy, energy, energy people and drainers. So here's how you know if somebody's good for you. 
you have a conversation with them. At the end of your conversation, do you feel charged up? Do you feel like I'm going to go rock this world? Or do you feel drained? Like, oh gosh, that conversation was just so negative. You know, that's how you know if somebody's good for you or not good for you. And it could be a family member. It could be a, a coworker. It could be somebody you're spending a lot of time with. But our environment is so important. You, you hang around with dogs, you're going to get fleas, right? You hang around at the barbershop, you're going to get a cut. So you got to make sure you control your environment. And like you said, it's about developing a new habit because it takes 66 days to develop a new habit, right? That's according to University of College London. That's when your brain has these new neural gro grooves that fire a new pathway. So one of my favorite quotes is this. The chains of habits are too weak to be felt until they are too strong to be broken. Mm. That's a good habit or a bad habit. So you got to have something so strong that's so meaningful, that's more important than just motivation, that's inspiration instead to keep you going and then s select your environment that's going to help support you and help you land in that zip code of greatness like you do for me. Hell yeah, bro. I love that too. I love that if you hang around with dogs, you're going to get fleas. I've never heard that before. So I really encourage everyone watching and listening because I'm all about giving people actionable steps to take, like literally get a sheet of paper out right now and write down those people in your life that fill up your cup, that give you energy, that inspire you, that encourage you, that hold you accountable and spend more time around those people. Talk to those people more often. Make sure that they're an instrumental part of your life and environment. And on the contrary, Find those people that you are currently maybe spending too much time with that are draining your battery. And I see it firsthand, so many people, and sometimes it's even those people that are supposed to support you. Maybe it's your parents, maybe it's your siblings, maybe it's your girlfriend or boyfriend, and they're holding you back in some capacity. So I think it's so important to take inventory of our relationships on a consistent basis, mm -hmm. you know? Do a, do a relationship audit, I love it. Hell yeah, bro. And there's no better time, again, we just started a new year, just started a new decade, get it in right now. I'm curious to know, because it sounds like your relationship with your mom is kind of what saved you. I mean, literally saved you. And just the thought of her is what prevented you from taking your own life. Yeah, I'm wondering, what, what, what were the stories you started to tell yourself after your parents split up, right? Like, how did that event impact your life? Because I know that's something a lot of people experience is their parents separating. And oftentimes we create this narrative based off of that situation. So I'm wondering for you, did you create any stories from that divorce? Yeah, totally. Created a lot of stories, a lot of uh, limited beliefs. I'm not loved. You know, my parents don't love me. My dad doesn't want to spend time with me. Uh, he left my mom. A lot of things that were not really conducive to growth, to positive growth. It was really destructive thoughts. And that really destroyed me. I think more important than what I was eating, which was bad, were the thoughts I was having in my head, those self-destructive self thoughts. Because I believe that having hatefulness and resentfulness are two of the biggest destroyers that we have in this world. And I had that every single day with every single thought. All my thoughts were self-limiting beliefs. And like I said, I was left to my own devices when mm. I was a kid. I was skipping school. I was doing drugs. I was selling drugs. I, I even remember a time where the ATF, Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms uh, Department, bulldozed my door down in the middle of the night because I thought I had guns inside of my bedroom. And I, I remember my mom there crying, like, give them the guns, give them the guns. And it was just... I, 
a disaster, man. I was such a bad kid. And nobody would expect that now because they see what I'm doing now and what I teach now. But it's very important for me to share that because if I could go from having those destructive thoughts, from selling drugs, consuming drugs, being addicted to video games, to doing the things that I'm doing now, then anybody could do anything. You know, right. it's, and it all starts with our thoughts. It starts yeah. with the thoughts. And we talked about this when I interviewed you, when I interviewed you for my Keto Camp podcast. Thoughts are so powerful. It's our greatest power. So whenever I know, I, and I know I'm so aware, when I have a negative thought pass by, I will acknowledge it, let it go by, and then choose a better thought. So yeah. that's what I would tell myself when I was a kid. Hey, do you know you could change your life by changing your thoughts? This is how you do it. So if you're listening to this right now or watching and you have these negative thoughts, which we all do, it's about closing that gap between having them and then choosing a better thought. I love that, yeah. And uh, w something, something that came up to me during a meditation once was the idea that all of these negative thoughts, right? Like each negative thought is like a, a pimple, one of those nasty white heads, right? And it's like, you ever have those when you're growing up? I know I did. And I would go in the mirror and I would compress it and I would pop it and you would see the pus hit the mirror, right? That's like the negative thought. And it's like, just pop that shit. Like, I know it's easier said than done sometimes, but we have, I believe, 60,000 thoughts a day approximately. 90% of those thoughts are the exact same thoughts we had the previous day. And most of those thoughts tend to be in the past, right? Which causes depression or future-based. So we're fearing what's coming next and that forces, causes anxiety. And being able to stay present is so, so important. And I'm wondering for you, doing all of the work you're doing, especially this stuff, you know, creating content, you know, being on social media and stuff like that, sometimes it's hard to be present. And I know I've struggled with that in the past. What are some things you do to really connect with yourself, connect with your mind, connect with your thoughts amongst all of that noise going on? Yeah, that's a great question. It's, it's my morning routine. I protect the first 60 minutes of every single morning, no matter where I am. I believe that's so important. For me, it is. If I could own the morning, I'm going to win the day. So I do my, my Joe Dispenza meditation. We're talking about Joe Dispenza. I go for a walk and I walk down by the water in Bay Harbor Islands. I do my Tony Robbins priming. I go back into my office. I have my red light therapy. I have not checked my phone. I have not let the monkey mind run. I'm in control of my thoughts. I have my affirmations going. I write down my goals and gratitude. First 60 minutes of every morning is protected. Once I'm done with that, it's go time. And that helps me really crush the day. If I don't do that, then I, I'm scrambling for thoughts. I'm not present and I'm not just functioning at the level I want to function. Yes, I love that. And I love the fact that your phone is away from you or on airplane mode, whatever it is, because again, that tends to be our biggest distraction. We tend to get in react mode and we're chasing those little dopamine hits, man. You get the notifications like, yo, someone just commented on my post or this person just texted me. And really it's just, again, like putting us in this hamster wheel of constantly reacting and responding. So I love that you really preserve your morning and master your morning. And that's that's what I'm so big about preaching, especially amongst these people who are in the corporate world and who have families and we have all of these obligations. So like, make sure you control that first 60 minutes. I think that's huge. Um, we talked about the, 
use of phones, right? And, and these things, limiting beliefs. And I know that's one of the things you talk about being a huge cause of inflammation. And I think that's something that people don't necessarily expect when we talk about body uh, and causing inflammation and disease is our thoughts. And I know you recently recorded a show talking about the five biggest factors that cause inflammation in the body. And I'd love to just go over some of those because I think the listeners are going to get so much value. Is that cool? Yeah, I would love to. Let's yeah. do it. Let's so, do it. So what would you say going, going down the list are five of the common things that people are really in, inflaming themselves with? Yeah, the first one on that list was eating right before bed. I mean, a lot of people have that habit. Hey, I'm guilty of it sometimes as well. Yeah. But if you are in the habit of snacking or eating something right before going to bed, that's going to create inflammation in the body. We never want to give the body food energy from calories from food and then not use it, right? Mm. Not move around and burn it off. If you eat food and go to bed, it creates a lot of what's called reactive oxygen species, ROS in the body, number yeah. one. Number two, you're going to take all of this resources now, energy, blood flow, to digest that food and not recover and restore from sleep, which by the way, most of your fat burning takes place during Delta sleep. So you get less fat burning, you wake up in the morning with brain fog, fatigue, and your morning has just started off the wrong foot because of what happened the night before. Mm. So giving yourself at least three hours, bare minimum, of fasting before going to sleep is key. Uh, the second thing is... So guys, just for, just for record, if you're going to bed at 11 p.m., all right, you're committed to going to bed at 11. That means not eating past 8 p.m. Just to clarify, continue. Sorry, Ben. Yeah, exactly. There, there you go. At least three hours. Yeah. The next thing is your favorite, which is moving more right? <laughs> that was on the list, right? Sitting is the new smoking. You talk about that all the time and, and you could give this segment, but we are not meant to sit down all the time. Right. And I actually sit more than I need to, or I should, I, I should say. So we're meant to move. We're meant to park farther and walk, take the stairs, stop being stuck to your desk, right? This is things that you preach and you're so good at, but that's the second thing on the list right there. And you could add to it. Yeah. Every moment is an opportunity to incorporate a little bit of movement. And that's not to say never to sit. I understand when you eat a meal with your family, your loved ones, like there's gonna be those moments, but I do encourage you when you are sitting, how's your posture? Is your spine aligned? Is your pelvis just getting destroyed and your lumbar is getting destroyed and the discs are compressing? So just be more conscious of these things and find those opportunities like parking a little further, taking the stairs as opposed to the elevator. These are all just little moments during the day that we can optimize a little more. Continue. That's right. And movement is more important than exercise, right? We, we talk about 100%. it all the time. You said it on my podcast. The next thing is snacking. Ooh. I mean, come on. The average American, here's the crazy stat. The average American eats 17 to 21 times a day. It's fucking crazy. I heard you drop that and I was like, oof, that is powerful. And then I was like, there's no way that's true. So here's how it's true. Say it again. Say it again. The average American eats 17 to 21 times per day. And I'm not saying they're sitting down at a table and eating a whole meal 17 to 21 times a day. I'm saying this. Think about the bite of protein, the handful of almonds, the kombucha. Anytime you raise glucose and insulin in the body from the healthiest snack in the world, carrots and hummus, whatever the heck it is, 
that's a meal to the body. And the average American does that 17 to 21 times per day. So they're in this constant fed state. And every time you're in a fed state, your body has to go through a process, a metabolic process of digesting that food. If I were to burn firewood right here in front of me, in front of both of us, it would create smoke, right? Our cells do the same thing when it creates energy, it creates cellular smoke. So the more you do that, the faster you're aging yourself. So if you wanna age faster than anybody you know, eat every two to three hours, that'll do it. You'll go and kick the, start this metabolism every time and it's not gonna speed up your metabolism, it's gonna speed up your aging. So that's gonna inflame you. So I always recommend having a feasting window and I use that word very intentionally, a feasting window, eating protein and fat with each meal, eating until full and no snacking in between. And then you could have your fasting window because we have 70 trillion cells and every single cell is designed for the old school. We are hardwired for feast famine cycles. We are not hardwired to eat every two to three hours. The body does not care that I could go on my phone and hit the Uber Eats app and have a millennial knocking on my door with food in 30 minutes. Yeah. The body does not care about that. The body cares about the way we're programmed for hundreds of thousands of years. So we could adopt our ancestral roots. Like you talk about with movement, your primal movements, same thing with eating. We're designed to feast and we're designed to fast. So eating every two to three hours goes against the way we were designed to live. That's so true, man. There's like an overabundance of food right now and, it, and it's the convenience factor. And so often like, like what you promote and what you encourage is nutrient dense meals, like earth grown nutrients. When you're eating stuff like that, you don't feel the craving two hours later. And it's also kind of interesting too, cause I know when I was actually getting my certification, like for, a, for becoming a trainer and there's like a nutritional part, they were advocating grazing. This idea of eating every two to three hours to keep your blood glucose levels consistent and, and stagnant throughout the day. And I was like, and I was actually following that for quite some time. And I was like, wait a second, this doesn't seem to make sense. So can you debunk that real quick for the people out there who are like, oh, I need to eat every couple hours? Yeah, if you're a sugar burner and you taught your body to run on sugar as your primary fuel source, then yeah, you need to get a hit of glucose every two to three hours. Otherwise, you're going to be an ugly person to be around. You're going to be hangry. So yeah, it's true if you're a sugar burner. And we don't want to be a sugar burner because the body, I, I mentioned 70 trillion cells. Out of the 70 trillion cells, it can only choose two sources of fuel. Either we're burning sugar, glucose, or fat, ketones. I compare burning sugar to a Mack truck that's speeding through the highway with all this smoke coming out of its exhaust pipe. Mm. Not healthy for the environment, not healthy for your cells. Because if you look at the byproducts that are created after burning sugar, it's a long list. It's a long process. If you switch to being a fat burner... And that's like a Tesla. That's like Elon Musk Tesla cruising through the highway, yes. no smoke coming out of its exhaust pipe. It's a shorter, shorter list of byproducts that are created. Once you taught your body to burn fat, then your body now has the metabolic flexibility to go several hours without having to get a hit of glucose. Because if you do it, if you practice intermittent fasting too soon, then you're not gonna get the benefits that I'm talking about because your brain is so used to getting that hit of glucose every two to three hours that right. when glucose begins to drop, the brain, all it wants to do is survive, will send the body an intense signal for carbohydrates, for sugar. 
And if you don't succumb to that, if you have the best willpower in the world, then you're just going to be an asshole to everybody. And if you just keep going and pushing forward, your body's going to break down hard-earned muscle and protein and turn that into sugar via gluconeogenesis and to fulfill that desire of getting glucose. But if you're fat adapted, none of that will happen because you'll go from burning your sugar reserves, your glycogen stores, to burning your fat, which is the way we're designed to be. So it can be true if you do it wrong, but if you do it right, the body knows what to do. The reason we store body fat is so when we don't eat food, we start to pull out that body fat. Somebody who has 10% body fat, which is very lean, has 60 to 70,000 calories on them. They could go weeks without food. The Guinness World Record for the longest recorded water fast, I wrote about him in my book. His name was Angus Burberry. He went 382 days without food. Okay, he had just fucking crazy water and a multivitamin, medically supervised. He went from 450 pounds to 180 pounds. Electrolytes looked good, blood work looked good. He didn't have loose skin, he felt great. You know what? I would argue this, Jeremy. He didn't put food in his mouth for 382 days, but he was eating. His body was eating his body fat. So we have an option. We could get our calories and our food from that plate of food in front of us or from our hips and our thighs. It's mm. our choice. When, when was that fast done? In the 70s. Wow. Yeah. That's so crazy. And he was, I mean, that, that's wild. Like, that's really... Mind-blowing. Okay, so we have no eating before bed. We have no snacking, which I know is going to be challenging for people. We have more movement. And then what's number four? Well, one of them was the thoughts, your thoughts. Okay, that's, that's the most important one. I want to really emphasize that, and you mentioned it a little bit earlier. Nothing will work to the extent that you want it to work if you don't have it going on in here. And what I mean by that is love and gratitude. I mean, you have shirts that say you're, you're grateful. You talk a lot about gratitude. I do as well. Love and gratitude are two of the biggest healers we have in this world. There's a brilliant quote from my friend, Dr. Will Cole. He says, you cannot heal a body you hate. So if you have destructive thoughts, even if you're eating the perfect diet, you're doing intermittent fasting, you're exercising, you cannot heal that body. Bruce Lipton, he has the book, The Biology of Belief. He has proven with his work that a negative thought creates inflammation around your cells, around the receptor sites that communicate to your hormones. And when those receptor sites are inflamed, now it communicates to your DNA within your cells to turn on bad genes, leading to disease. So the opposite of that is when you experience love and gratitude for everything. I mean, this amazing microphone, Jeremy and I, are, we're healthy enough to stand here and breathe and look at each other in the eyes and hear each other. There's so many things to be grateful for. That's healing the body and reducing inflammation. So that right there is the biggest tip of them all because you could be doing everything right, but if you don't have this, you won't heal. Yeah, and it goes back to what we were talking about, your environment. Like, who are you hanging out with? Who are you listening to? What places are you chilling at, right? Because it's important also to identify your subconscious mind doesn't have a filter. It's gonna let in everything you allow it to. And if you're constantly filled with this, negative mindset and all of these self-limiting beliefs and, and just a pessimistic outlook on life, that's just going to become you, right? And it's hard to prioritize nutrition and fitness and all of these things if you have a shitty relationship with yourself. And I think that's so important to recognize that it's actually causing inflammation on a cellular level, right? Okay. Number five, what was number five? Do you have e it written down? EMFs. Oh, EMFs. That's what it was. EMFs. So a lot of people think this is woo-woo. EMFs are electromagnetic fields, frequencies, whatever you want to call it. 
They are the Wi-Fi network that's around us right now, yeah. which is amazing. It's the 5G network. And back in the day, several years ago, people used to say, yeah, whatever, Ben, that's a little woo-woo. Now, a lot of research is out to show what EMFs does to the body. I'll give you a perfect example. I was just in Newport Beach, California at the Live It to Lead It seminar, a health seminar, and there was a, a world leader in cancer research. Her name was Dr. Erin Keneally, who's coming on my podcast. And I asked her this back in Nashville last year, and then I asked her again, same question. Out of the, all the threats out there when it comes to cancer, when it comes to cancer, Jeremy, one out of three women are diagnosed with cancer in their lifetime, one out of two men. Those are the stats right now. So I asked her, what are the, what's the biggest threat? Why do we see this epidemic? And she said, with certainty, EMFs. She shared that in the 1980s, when she first opened up her clinic, the only patients she had who used to get brain cancer were these 50 to 60-year-old executive males with those big brick phones that used to hold it to their head. Mm. Now she says she has teenagers and 20-year-olds and 30-year-olds every single week coming into her clinic with that same brain cancer. Because mm -hmm. we have people who are putting their phone to their head. We have people who are putting their phone in their pocket without it being on airplane mode. They're frying themselves with Wi-Fi while they're asleep when they could just turn off that router when they're sleeping. That's a simple tip for somebody to do. Put your phone on airplane mode. Don't talk with your phone to your head. Put it away because that's creating inflammation in the body. And doing things like that go a long way. Even grounding and putting your feet on the bare grass or sand mm. pulls out some of those EMFs and reduces the um, inflammation in the body. So these are little tips that people can do that don't require money, but just having the awareness makes a big difference in the body. Wow, that's powerful. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask a scary question for me personally. How destructive do you think AirPods are? Yeah. <laughs> so I love my AirPods, bro. Uh, yeah, I'm going to give you some bad news. <laughs> so my coach and mentor, Dr. Pampa, who I think he's the most brilliant person in the health space, I used to use AirPods for several months, and he did an experiment. He had one of those EMF meters, which he had one of the good ones that are, cost more money that are very accurate. Anything that registers on the EMF meter at 0.5 or higher, the research shows that that creates inflammation in your cells. So he was doing some experiments, and his son's friend came in the house with those AirPods. So he did a Facebook Live. It's on his Facebook. And he did the meter uh, with the AirPods on, and it had 3.0, over 3.0. Then he had somebody call him with the AirPods on, and it went up to 8 and 10. So it's creating a problem in the body it's, no. it's it's creating inflammation in the body so i stopped using my is airpods that, is that mostly because of the bluetooth yes so like if you have the if you have the headphones that have a cord not as much okay it's so less than point so how do you like what do you do for I just, phone calls i use my oh phone calls i have it on speakerphone if i'm in a place i'll use headphones that are wired there's also these uh head headsets that i use that are EMF friendly, meaning they have like a little, a little tube here at the bottom of it and it blocks it out coming up here. So you can do that as well, but you don't have to go to that extent. Just the old Apple uh, headsets, those are fine. They have a little bit of EMFs, but not nearly as much as the AirPods. Oh, Sorry man. to burst your bubble. Bro. No, no. I like, listen, <laughs> I knew they were not good for me, but I was kind of in denial of how bad they were. So I think you might've just given me a wake up call to make a change, which is going to be very tough for me. Cause like, they're just so convenient and yeah. Um, and what do you do for like listening to music? So I only listen to music when I'm working out. Okay. And I'll just have my phone playing it from the, directly from the phone. So I'll do that. Uh, that's it. And sometimes when I'm driving, I'll listen to music. Like when I was coming here, I like to listen to a couple songs to kind of get me in, in the flow state. So I'll do that. But other than that, I don't really listen to a lot of music. 
You're killing me, bro. <laughs> okay, so let's dive deeper because you really are. I mean, if, if you guys have been listening to this, I hope you've been taking notes because Ben is just a wealth of knowledge with everything, keto, intermittent fasting, and the difference between being fat adapted and being a sugar burner, like he talked about. Can you um, can you kind of guide us in? First of all, I want to ask, is, is, is keto what helped you when you were 24? shed those 80 pounds were you were you practicing keto then and and how did keto get introduced to you first yeah I'll, I'll answer that question i first want to briefly say don't you just love jeremy i mean this guy's got an amazing attitude and enthusiasm i, Thanks, I appreciate i appreciate you leave him a rating and review for this podcast absolutely it Let's makes go. a big difference for podcasters seriously if you got any value from this guy and i know you did go leave him a review appreciate yeah that. thank you no, I didn't lose. I didn't do keto when I lost the weight. So I, I lost the weight, but I wouldn't. I wasn't healthy. I learned a lesson. Mm. I was lean. I was one of those fit, sick people, right? Mm. So I followed whatever advice I found in Men's Health magazine and bodybuilder threads and forums and all that. So I lost the weight, but I had to discover what true health was, what I call perfect health. So it wasn't until 2013, 2014, where I did a couple of experiments. One of those experiments was doing a vegan diet for a year and a half, like wow. strict vegan, not even honey, anything that comes from an insect or animal, not, didn't go in my body for mm. a year and a half. And uh, I suffered because of it. And I put myself in a box, a dogmatic box, thinking that veganism was the best thing in the world. And it was not. And I don't think it is for, most, for, for any human, actually, not long term. So short term, I see a lot of benefits. So I got off that back in 2013, 2014. Then I started studying guys like Paul Cech. And I realized, man, I got to get some animal protein in my body like quality animal protein, that's when I started to get into the ketogenic diet back in 2013, 2014. And now I do what's called keto flexing, where most of the time I'm in ketosis, but not all the time. But that's where it all started. Wow. Yeah, dude. Paul Cech has such a wealth of knowledge. He is a wizard in so many areas. So guys like Mark Sisson, right, they talk about being metabolically flexible. Is that is that kind of what you're talking about now? Like getting to the point where you've been in ketosis and your body is versatile, you build that intuition, and then you can kind of start introducing some of these foods back into your regimen or routine? Yeah, that's exact, exactly it. A lot of people, keto is trending now, it's so popular. Keto is not a diet. It's a metabolic process. Talk around. about, talk, talk, like, let, let's actually, that's great that you're mentioning that because I'm sure a lot of people right now, they've heard it thrown around. Like, let's bust any myths and really build like a good definition around keto. I would love that. Yeah, absolutely. So, so keto is not a diet. It's a metabolic process. It's been around since humans have been around. Same thing as intermittent fasting. Just because it's trending on Dr. Google does not make it a fad. Okay, it's a fact. But if you go on Dr. Google and put in what is the keto diet, you're going to get 183 million results. You're going to have people who are well-respected well saying you got to do it this way. Right underneath it, you're going to have an article from a well-respected resource saying you got to do it the complete opposite way. And it's enough to just make somebody just paralyzed with information. So I got to tell you this. There is no cookie-cutter approach to keto. You could eat inflammatory fats and go to McDonald's and just get a Big Mac without the bun and be in ketosis and be one of those keto bros just chasing ketones. I don't chase ketones. I chase results. So the way I teach it, teach the body to burn fat as your primary fuel source. I mentioned that Tesla comparison. Teach your body to do that as its primary fuel source, but not its only fuel source. There are several problems that can occur in the body when you are in ketosis for too long. There is no one diet out there that's going to work for anybody long term. 
no culture in the history of this world ever stuck with the same diet long term. Mm. They always adapted. They were forced to adapt because of their environment. Now we have to mimic that. So our body loves to burn fat, but it doesn't love to only burn fat. So the way I teach it is to, yeah, teach your body, reset the hormones, reset the metabolism, do clean keto, bring down inflammation. And if you have no insulin resistance, no diabetes, then we start flexing. I call it keto flexing, where we have a day or two out of the week where we introduce paleo, low carb, healthier carbs into the lifestyle, and we intentionally flex out of ketosis. And if you've done it the right way, the next afternoon, you're right back in. And that's what I do for myself, and that's the way I teach it in my Keto Camp Academy. Love that. How, how long does it take on average for someone to get into that ketosis state? 28 days is how I teach it. Okay. So I have my Keto Camp Academy. I have over 140 members in there. Out of all the members who have gone through my 28 days, not one member, at least not one member has reported it to me, that they received the keto flu and all these negative connotations because you could do it the right way. So I don't recommend going cold turkey. That's where you get some of the negative stuff. Right. But if you do it the right way, 28 days, you'll be, you'll be in ketosis. Mm. And how do you go about teaching that process to people. I know because it's like you said, it's a case by case basis. And I know there's some differences between men and women, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. For, for women who are, who have their monthly cycle, they have a caveat. That's five to seven days leading up to their period is when I tell them, Hey, we don't want you to do keto or much fasting. Your body actually needs insulin from carbohydrates to make certain hormonal conversions to help with your monthly cycle. Wow. So that's why women experience cravings for carbohydrates and, and, and chocolate the week leading up to their period. It's the body is so freaking smart. We have this innate intelligence inside of us, right? That knows what it wants. We just need to be in tune with it. So for ladies, the science behind it is, hey, you need insulin to convert different hormones because estrogen and progesterone are very low that week and you need to build it up for a healthy cycle. So I teach them to five to seven days, get out. Once you have your monthly cycle, get back in. So that's a perfect example right there. The way I teach it in general terms is to gradually start decreasing your carbohydrates while we increase protein and fat. It's important to do protein as well because if you don't, the body, it's not going to satiate you and you're going to want to have to snack in between meals and you might fall off course. And also... It's important to understand that when you transition from burning sugar to burning fat, your body's going to lose a lot of excess water, water weight, which, mm. which is great because you're going to feel lighter. You're going to feel better. Your kidneys are going to just dump all this excess water weight. Right. But what goes along with it is electrolytes. So you got to be very intentional with replenishing your electrolytes every single day and having green leafy vegetables, maybe having a supplement to help get that back in the body. But the number one reason I see people struggle on the keto diet is sluggish bile. Okay, mm. bile, which is produced by the liver. The liver is such an amazing organ, dude. It's, it's the soccer mom organ, I call it. it. Does everything and anything, right? Yeah. Four and a half pounds right here. It's going to detox you. It's going to help your, your produce ketones for you. And if you have a sluggish liver because you've been eating every two to three hours and you have toxins all around you, then you're going to produce sluggish bile. The significance of that, bile breaks down fat. And when you go keto, you're going to eat more fat. Also, bile takes toxins out of the body and puts it in the toilet. So mm. when you go keto and you have sluggish bile, you can't break down fat and you can't remove toxins. So your body's burning fat, releasing toxins. You can't get rid of it and you feel like crap. Mm. So eat more bitter rich foods. I have a whole list of bitter rich foods. Take a digestive enzyme with ox bile. This goes a long way for somebody who's transitioning from burning sugar to burning fat. Awesome. And would you say in regards to the electrolyte depletion, 
maybe putting like pink Himalayan salt in your water, something simple like that, would that be effective? Yeah, so I have a, I designed a keto cocktail, I call it. So cocktail K, cocktail K, keto cocktail. And it's 16 ounces of water in the morning with uh, a teaspoon, not a teaspoon, a pinch of sea salt. Like you said, I use Redmond's real salt, but a sea salt uh, pinch of it two tablespoons of apple cider vinegar, and one teaspoon of cream of tartar. So that's a way to get electrolytes in. It has potassium and has some electrolytes cream in Cream of tartar, I've cream, never... Cream of tartar. Okay. Yeah, so you have that, you mix it all together. Something else though, the Himalayan salt was a great tip because if you drink coffee, like we're drinking right now, this delicious coffee with these amazing mushrooms in it. Yes, sir. When you, when you, when you drink coffee, coffee's a diuretic, so you lose even more electrolytes. So I always put salt in my coffee at home. Mm, I've never tried that, yeah, actually. Yeah, salty coffee. I, put a, I drink a salty, fatty coffee every single morning, so I Ooh. replenish the electrolytes as I lose them. Okay, so talk about, because I know, I know a lot of people who practice keto, who advocate keto, uh, the, the coffee, right? Like, MCT oil, maybe some Kerrygold butter, some grass-fed butter in there. When when do you usually have that, right? Because that's breaking your fast. You know, it's it's tricky. It's a tricky question because some people it's not breaking the fast. Here, here's how mm. you know. You test your glucose before right. you have it. So whatever, if it's black coffee, if it's coffee with fats, coffee with mushrooms, you test your glucose beforehand. Okay. And then you have your coffee or tea, whatever it is. And then you wait 30 minutes and then you test your glucose again. If your glucose goes up by more than five points, then yes, you're right. It'll, it'll break your fast. It'll activate a pathway called mTOR, which is growth and no more autophagy, which is mm. catabolic repairing. But it's different for everybody. I could test and it'll be, I'll be fine. You could test and it might break your fast. So the only way to know, and I have a YouTube video all about this, is to check your glucose. So for me, my fatty coffee does not break the fast. Really? Yeah. But even if it did, if somebody's transitioning, I think it's a great crutch for them. Yeah. Eventually, yeah, you want to just do water. You get the most autophagy and most benefits, but it's very dependent on the person. So it's not as simple as if this thing's if this thing has calories in it, it's going to break your fast. And if it doesn't, because cal- just black coffee obviously doesn't break your fast. And from what I understand, it actually fuels your fast. It enhances it in some ways. So, yep. for example, like these mushrooms, it's literally 10 calories in a scoop. So should I just kind of perform a test, like get a blood close blood glucose monitor and and have have my reading before I drink it and then 30 minutes after and see what type of effect. Yeah, it I'd has. be interested because it has two grams of carbohydrates. So it may and two grams of protein. So it may because the the protein and the carbs, but you could always test just to verify. But even if it did, I think it's a great little hack for somebody as a crutch. Exactly. So they don't have to eat a sugary breakfast. I mean if you have a fatty coffee with these mushrooms so much better than having the crap out there that people have for breakfast. That's what I'm saying. And for some people, like you said, it's they've grown up in this paradigm that breakfast is the most important meal of the day. So they're waking up, they're immediately like craving their bagel and cream cheese or blueberry oh, muffin, geez. whatever. I, I whatever. was one of them. Yeah, bro. And and it's and and that's kind of how we were brought up, right? Yeah. With like this food pyramid concept and the American Heart Association Jeez. saying that there's a direct color- correlation between fat and heart disease, you know, and, and thank goodness we're starting to debunk those. Yeah. Can I, can I add to that real quick? So it turns out more people die from heart attacks and heart disease with normal to low cholesterol than high cholesterol. Mm. That's a, that's a fact right there. Also, what if I told your audience this, because we need to be our own health detective and I know you're a free thinker just like I am. And I want to share this. What if I told you that the same food that's fed 
to chemo patients in the hospital that just went through a cancer treatment. The same food that's given to them in the hospital is the food that causes the cancer. Mm. What if I told you that the American Diabetes Association website, the diet they promote is the same diet that causes diabetes? You know, it's backwards, dude. And we got to be our own health detective because Einstein knew it before anybody else. He said, intellectuals solve problems, geniuses prevent them. Yeah. So you and I, brother, we're, we're geniuses. Your audience is a genius. We want to be proactive, not reactive. Yeah. Dude, that is, and it's so, it's so frustrating that that's actually going on. And all the hundreds of millions of dollars that are going into cancer research. And then it's a lot of these things that are considered woo woo or out there or Eastern medicine, like, and, and people aren't as receptive to them because maybe there's not as much scientific data behind them, whatever it may be. But like, how can we start flipping the script? And I think we already are in a way, but like, how can we continue the momentum and stop some of those behaviors and, and information from really getting out there to the masses? Yeah, you know, it's, it's a difficult question to, an to answer. It starts with, with yourself, right? It starts with challenging everything. Even everything that I'm saying today, I don't want anybody to believe me. I want them to do some research and experiment. At the end of the day, the only thing that matters are the results that you're getting. So what I, 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 start, to, I start my lectures off when I'm giving a talk with something called the George Costanza effect. Mm. So you know Seinfeld, that show Seinfeld? I'm, I'm a huge Seinfeld fan. Yeah, me too, brother. Huge Seinfeld so fan. So for those of, the, those of you who are listening or watching who don't know about Seinfeld, which I don't know how could that, that could well, be, Well, the younger right? people, man, like might not know. Do, do you guys know? Yeah, so <laughs> they, they do. So knows. Santi knows. George Costanza was a character on that TV show. It's a sitcom from the 90s, and he was somebody who got who was getting crappy results in his life, right? One of the episodes, he was miserable, dude. Relationships, finances, he was an angry man. And he said, ah, oh, I'm gonna do everything opposite of what I had been doing yep. up until that, this point, and I'm gonna see what happens. Yeah. And what happened to George Costanza? Everything in his life improved, right? Yeah. Relationships, finances. So I teach people, hey, look at what the government promotes, your friends on Facebook are promoting, maybe your coworker is promoting. What is the mainstream promoting? Do the opposite, the Costanza effect, and you're going to be going down the right path because you got to be careful when you follow the masses, usually the M is silent. Mm. And if you follow the sheep, you're going to step in shit. So you got to be your own health detective here. And that's what I would tell people. I love that. And I think what, what's funny is I'm, I'm picturing that episode right now and George is in like the cafe they always frequent and he goes up to this attractive woman just who's by herself and he literally goes up to her and says like, hello, I'm George Costanza. I don't have a job and I live with my parents. <laughs> he just has this radical candor and honesty and authenticity and she actually is like, oh, hey, yeah. what's up? <laughs> and, and I think it's so funny. I think the lesson we can take from that is that that authenticity, that vulnerability is rare and sometimes it, we, we reap unexpected rewards when we just are completely honest and we're authentic. And like, if someone asks, asks you a question, it's like, yeah, you know, I actually don't know the answer, but I'm, I'm committed to finding out. And I think that's why you've had a lot of success with your clients and why you've resonated with a lot of them is because you're very transparent about your journey. It's like, I was not this knowledgeable, healthy dude for a majority of my life. And I think a lot of people can relate to that. And, you know, I think, I think that's a really powerful thing to have that compassion. Thank you. You know what I mean? And it's like, 
you know, this person might be having really debilitating thoughts. They might be really overweight and you can actually say like, Hey, I know how you feel. And to have that level of compassion and empathy, I think is so key. Yeah, I agree. And I've been obese too. You know, for somebody who looks at me and they think I've been fit my whole life, I have not been fit. So I could definitely have that compassion. I appreciate that acknowledgement. Hell yeah, bro. And I want to get into a little bit of being an entrepreneur and like creating your own path, carving your own journey. And it's not easy. It's not easy. I know it might get glorified on social media. People might have in their profile like entrepreneur and they might take pictures in front of Bentleys and Beamers and on private jets that aren't theirs. But (laughs) I want to know a little bit about that journey for you. What have been some of the biggest struggles and how have you overcome those? Yeah, you're you're right. You know, I'm so aligned with my purpose right now that people look at what I'm doing and I'm sure you could, I imagine you could resonate to this. People look at what I'm doing. Ben is hustling. Ben is a hard worker. I don't even use those words. Yeah. You know, I think using those words, using hustler and grinder, that's kind of a a way to kind of, that's for people to say, label other people who are not living on purpose with their purpose. Because mm. if you're living on purpose with your purpose, it does not feel like work. Mm. Now, it's not easy. You said it. But when your why is strong, the how becomes easier. Yeah. So first I got really clear with my highest values. I did some work with Dr. John D. Martini, his book, The Highest Values. I determined what's important to me, business, relationships, finance, the people I want to help. And then I matched my daily activities to my highest values. And when something comes up that's not on my list of highest values, the answer is no. And every day from 8 a.m. to probably 8 p.m., I'm working, right? I'm creating content, I'm studying it, but it does not feel like that. I'm so lit up, I'm so inspired every day. I was driving here like, yes, I'm gonna chat with Jeremy. None of this seems like a nuisance to me. Hell yeah. And people might look at that and say, Ben's a grinder, but Ben is not a grinder. Ben is just living on purpose with its purpose. So I would say you gotta get clear on your highest values, and once you do, the how will become easier for you. Mm, I love that. I think that's so important. And that's one of the things I'm in, I'm, I've been in the process of doing too. And I think it's important how you said you identified those things that are most important. And now it gives you clarity on what you say no to. And I think that's something that myself included and a lot of people listening can relate to as something they struggle with is being able to say no, right? And every time you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else indirectly, right? You might be saying yes to this dinner or event that you don't really want to go to, but you don't want to disappoint that person, right? But you're really shutting off possibilities for something that might actually be serving your purpose at a higher level. That's right. And and that that mindset like really woke me up and I was like, wow, like I I really need to like you said, get my core values in order. And I think that's a great exercise for people to go through. Like what are the three or five priorities that you want to really purify going into 2020? And that's going to help you eliminate distractions, eliminate the people that might be toxic in your life. I agree. It's so important, especially at this time of year or new decade, new year. Yeah, that's a very practical activity for somebody to listen right now or who's watching right now. Do that. Like when you're done with this video, grab a piece of paper and start writing down what's important to you. And it's your unique values are your unique values. Nobody has my values. Nobody has Jeremy values. So if somebody tells you, why do you want to accomplish that? Why do you want to do that? Understand they don't have your vision. 
Okay, God gave you a vision that's unique to yourself. So one of the top regrets of the dying, which is from the book, The Biggest Regret, the Biggest Regrets of the Dying by Bonnie Ware. She was a hospice nurse in Australia yeah. who interviewed several uh, people who were dying on their deathbed. The number one regret was not living a life true to themselves, living a life of what others expected them to be. Mm. So your highest values are your highest values. Determine them and that's your life. Nobody's living your life. So that's a huge activity for somebody to do. We only get one life. I want to read that book though, because I've heard a lot of tidbits from it. And I just think that's so valuable. It's yes. like, it's like really refreshing, like to keep that right front and center, like, okay, like this is why I need to stay clear with my direction, with my purpose. I love it, bro. We're going to jump into some rapid fire. I'm not even sure how long we've been going, but you've dropped so many knowledge bombs. And this is stuff that we haven't really discussed yet on the show. So I'm so grateful that we're starting the new year off, the new decade off with this massive information load of all really practical things that we can do starting tomorrow, starting right now. Fuck tomorrow. Let's do it right now. Right now, baby. So I want to know, what is your biggest pet peeve? <sighs> uh, the, using the word trying. Hearing mm. people say trying. And I catch myself doing it sometimes as well. So saying, yeah, I'll try to do that. I think you, you either do it or you don't. Like, try to sit down, Jeremy. Yeah. Like, no, you either sit down or you don't. So using that word is my biggest pet peeve. I've been very conscious of that word as well with myself and with others. So I love that you mentioned that. What's your favorite emoji? The, um, the two fists coming together like that. Ooh, like, <laughs> boom. boom. All right. It's your last day. Your last supper, all right? And you're going to feast. It's in, your, it's in your feasting window. You're going to go big. You get to choose three people, dead or alive, to be at that dinner with you. No family. Sorry. Sorry, mom. <laughs> all right? Who's going to be at that dinner table? So does my girlfriend, is she included in family? Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Uh, no, it's fine. I, I would put um, Dr. Pompa, who's my coach and mentor, who means so much to me, like his guidance has just opened up a whole new world to me. So Dr. Pompa will be there for sure. I would put Wayne Dyer. Mm. He changed my life. And Bob Proctor. Hell yeah. I would sit down with all three of them. I love it. And if you were going to add a woman for some female energy, who would it be? I would put Elena Cardone on there. Ooh. I love Elena. I can't wait to see your show with her, bro. Yeah. You guys are recording next month? Yeah, February 3rd. Hell yeah. yeah. Okay, and actually, I want to ask you, what's going to be at that final supper? What are you going to be consuming? What are you going to be eating and salivating over? Mexican food. Ooh. That's my favorite. Uh, that's my favorite cuisine. So it would be enchiladas and burritos and tacos and everything Mexican, real authentic Mexican food. Gluten-free tortillas? If it's my last meal, no. <laughs> yes, true. All out, all out. All the guac. <laughs> all the guac. Hell Heck yeah. Hell yeah, brother. I want to acknowledge you, man, because you've inspired me so much. Like seeing the way that you've grown your social media, you've grown your message, you've grown your impact and doing it with such purpose, doing it with such intention. For me, it's, it's nice to have someone like that to look up to and to really align with. So I'm excited, man. Like 2020, I want to collab with you more. And this is just the beginning for us. I'm super, I'm super excited and pumped for what's to come and what we can co-create. And 
I want to give you the opportunity to share with our audience where they can connect with you. I know you have some programs. I know you have some books. So share that. Yeah, thank you for the acknowledgement. Right back at you. I love what you're doing. And uh, go listen to the episode with Jeremy on my Keto Camp podcast. So that's where you could find me, uh, Keto Camp podcast, top 15 podcast in the US. Episode I did with Jeremy, amazing. Go listen to that. My YouTube channel, biggest resource that I would recommend people go to. Keto Camp on YouTube, Camp with the K is where you could find it. And I have all my books, all my best-selling books on Amazon. You just type in my name, Ben Azadi. It'll come right up. And uh, might as well mention LinkedIn because we talked about it. So you yes. can find me on LinkedIn as well and just look me up online. Hell yeah, I love it. And we'll link to everything in the show notes as well as our episode on your show, which was awesome. And yo, it's a wrap. You already know what time it is. It's time to get the year started off right and stand up to sitting.